Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Paul. Welcome to Tangents, a podcast from Coin Center. I am Robin Wiseman, Senior Policy Counsel at Coin Center, and today I will be your host. And I am very fortunate to be joined by Paul Balzano, who is um, the Senior Professional Staff to the House Rep Agriculture Committee, Republican side. <laughs> Did I get that right, Paul? Yeah, that's close enough. Is yep. that close enough? Um, uh, more, more introduction than I ever give myself, so well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so we are here today to talk about how a bill becomes a bill. A lot of people know generally how a bill becomes a law, sort of the legislative process that happens once a bill is introduced. But one thing we work on a lot at Coin Center, and I don't think a lot of people know, is the process of how an idea goes from being an idea to being an actual piece of legislation. So at Coin Center, we are fortunate to work with members of Congress um, to advance our priorities. Um, we educate members of Congress and their staff about decentralized cryptocurrencies. And in that process, sometimes a member will have a proposal that they're interested in advancing. And that can take several forms. Sometimes it's as simple as a letter to an agency that's drafted by a member of Congress and perhaps other members join in, like we did on, like we had seen on some tax issues recently this year. Other times, um, a member decides to have a hearing on a topic. And other times, a member decides that they have an idea that they'd actually like to introduce into a bill with the opportunity for that bill to become a law. And in our work, we get to meet all kinds of really interesting and creative and great people. And so I thought it would be a great idea for today's podcast to highlight one of our favorites, and that is you, Paul. So thank you for coming. Um, before we get into the whole process and why we're talking about it today, can you just talk for a few minutes about how you came to work on the Hill, like your background and yeah. how you came um, to have this awesome job? I do have an awesome job, uh, maybe the best job I've ever had. Um, so I have a really kind of a boring, very typical route to the hill. Um, after college, uh, I followed some friends down. Um, I basically moved down to DC with half a dozen of my college friends. Um, we all got internships and, uh, and the office I worked in was my hometown member, a guy named uh, Sherry Bowler. And he was a great boss, he gave me a job and then he promptly retired. Um, and then uh, I got a job with Mike Conaway, who's my current boss, uh, and I worked for him for, uh, I think, 13 or 14 years now. Uh, a long time. Wow. Um, That's a long but, uh, time. It is a long time. He's a, he's a good boss, and he kept giving me new and novel things to do. So, it's so What was your first role working for Mr. Conaway? Were you uh, we, should, was, we should know, just to pause for a second, yeah. that you work on the committee. You are staff to the committee. Yes, um, Mr. Conaway also has a personal office where he has staff that staffs him on issues that are not related to the committee. So did you start off working on the committee or did you start no. off working? I started in his personal office. He was, uh, it was the start of his second term. Um, so he was a member of the Ag Committee, but way too junior to have a leadership role yet. Um, so I started as his legislative correspondent, which is the person that writes all the letters, which um, is a... It may be the hardest job on Capitol Hill. Uh, mail is unending. Yes. Every day there's more and more letters and emails to respond to. But it, uh, it's a great job because you learn a lot. 
you get to talk about and think about every issue that Congress is thinking about. Um, and then I became a legislative assistant, which is sort of the next step up. Um, and you get to have a policy portfolio and start to work on issues and um, keep track of legislation and meet with constituents and other folks that come into the office to talk about legislative issues. Uh, eventually, I became the legislative director, which is like the senior, senior legislative person in the office. Um, and then when Mr. Conway became chairman, uh, I moved with him over to the Ag Committee to handle uh, the financial services portfolio at the Ag Committee, which covers, uh, we have jurisdiction over derivatives markets and uh, commodity markets in the United States. So uh, I came over to do that work. Which, That's very interesting. A meteoric rise over 30 years. Uh, it was... <laughs> Maybe not quite as meteoric as Alex Sternhill. I think I was still in college when he was uh, a legislative director, but uh, but I did okay. I can't complain. He definitely had a very storied and um, famed uh, run I, on the I Hill. And you, like you share, oh, that's very nice. You and Alex share that I think your positions working on committee staff were probably your favorite job. And I think Alex yeah. loves his job today, but I know that that was probably one of his all-time yeah. career highlights. Very fun job. Okay, shout out to Alex. Hey. <laughs> so um, recently, um, we had the opportunity to begin working with you. And I, I guess I really shouldn't say recently. About two years ago, yeah. you had an idea. Mm -hmm. um, and about three weeks ago, that idea together with your boss, became the Digital Commodities Exchange Act, and it was introduced as a bill on the same day that the Securities Clarity Act was introduced by Mr. Emmer on the House Financial Services Committee. Yes. So what I would like to do today is talk a little bit about the process of how the DCEA, affectionately we call it, um, came to be. So how did it start? Um, a lot, a lot of conversations with a lot of people. Um, so you know, the committee has jurisdiction over the CFTC and uh, at some point along the way uh, we decided, well not we, but courts and the commission and the SEC sort of looked at Bitcoin and uh, decided that it really looked a lot more like a commodity than a security, which uh, I'm sure everybody is relatively familiar with that, that, that that's an ongoing conversation in the crypto space. Um, and so as it became clearer that that these digital assets, many of them started to look more and more like commodities. People came in to talk to us uh, more and more frequently and to talk to the Ag Committee about what we were thinking about um, these new things that were in our jurisdiction. Um, and in those conversations, I think a good chunk of it was just informational and a conversation about what Bitcoin and what Ether are. And then- um, And just to go back for one that, second, just so sure. our listeners can know, those conversations, those have been going on for the, since for about four years, five my, years? I looked at my calendar a while back and my first conversation was in February of 2015 uh, with uh, some folks in the digital chamber. Uh, came in to just introduce the topic and start to talk to us. But along the way, the next sort of topic conversation after the introduction was sort of, these are some of the problems that we see. Um, and so that really began the conversation about is there a legislative, uh, 
having a conversation about where the regulatory regime failed and sort of falls down and isn't clear uh, is sort of where we started on thinking about what would be a better regulatory regime. Um, and so it starts way, way, way back there about uh, where the holes are and where the gaps are. Eventually, we had a hearing at the committee, um, and then eventually we pulled some ideas together about the things that we thought were missing in the regulatory structure and tried to put them on paper. Um, and then we eventually came to you guys and some other folks and started talking about all the ways in which the ideas on paper uh, needed to be worked on a little bit more. Yeah, so let's unpack that process a little. So you put pen to paper, mm -hmm. um, your boss and you had some ideas about how you wanted to approach this issue and ways that it can be fixed. And when you start that process, that process obviously starts between the conversation coming out of the hearings and all the other things that you've learned between you and your boss. But then it takes a lot more than just you and your boss to get a bill yeah. to the point where it becomes a bill. So you start off, so, and you were, you were saying that, you know, you began conversations with others. So do you start, how do you start those conversations? Do you reach out to people and say, hey, I'm thinking about this idea, or do you, or do, or do you wait for people to come to you? How does that happen? In the case of the DCA, um, it was a lot of conversations just in between meetings and over phone calls. And, you know, I, there are lots of really smart and thoughtful people uh, in the crypto space and in, um, and in sort of the derivative space that kind of cross over into the crypto space that um, just a lot of offline conversations that happen in between other things that we're working on and just picking people's brains here and there um, until you have an idea that is coherent. Uh, right. And I should mention that it's funny you say that like in your spare time, there's a lot of other issues that the committee tackles that are not cryptocurrency related, yeah. shockingly. <laughs> and so the fact that you were able to take the time to dive in and to learn these issues and to be so thoughtful about them is something I think um, what we all appreciate. Your boss took the time to sit down, I know, with many people and really educate himself and learn all the ins and outs in order to start this process. So one thing at the beginning is, so you, as you said before, you are a staffer on the Committee on Agriculture that has jurisdiction over the Commodities and Future Trading Commission. So when you're starting to think about this, do you think about how much does the jurisdiction of your committee come into play? And this is a leading question in terms of how you, how you think about how you're going to write the bill, because a lot of these issues are also part of the jurisdiction of the Financial Services Committee and that some of these things are also securities. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it, I mean, it's, it's important. Um, I think as you develop a piece of legislation, you want to be able to control it in a certain, to a certain extent, right? And um, every time it sort of slips into another committee's jurisdiction, there's a whole other group of people that get to open it up and, and make changes to it and tinker with it in ways that it may not be what you were hoping for. Um, so certainly, I think that's a big part of it. You, you know, as we think about it, we obviously recognize that the House Ag Committee doesn't necessarily get to act alone, right? Eventually, the whole House is going to vote on something, I hope. Um, and certainly, the folks from the Financial Services Committee have a lot of useful and valuable opinions, and you don't want to say they have nothing to say here. Um, right. And so, but yeah, I mean, ideally, we would like to introduce a bill that the House Ag Committee gets to work on and um, gets to sort of have the final say of. 
of course. And then, so now you have an idea and it's kind of written down on a piece of paper somewhere that you were able to share with people. Yep. Um, I think one thing that people don't really understand is that there's actually a process in between just writing out an idea in terms of plain English language and high level concepts and actually what you see as a, what you see in terms of bill language. When a bill is introduced, it's in a, it comes in a very particular format that it needs to be introduced into Congress. And I think that I'm not sure many of our listeners would know about um, Ledge Council. Yep. So what can you share a little bit about the process uh -huh. about how something goes from basically prose to bill language? Uh, yeah. So we, I have a, I, we have a, a really wonderful guy who's our legislative council and he handles, you know, they, there's lots of lawyers down at the ledge council shop and they handle specific bodies of law. So our ledge council who handles the commodity exchange act is a, is a great guy. Um, I've actually never met him in person, but I feel like, uh, that's funny. And that includes uh, not just because of COVID. How no, no, not years? just because of COVID. Right. Um, so how many years have you been working with this person? Uh, six years. Um, and he's he's fantastic. He's uh, really smart and really insightful and, and is a huge help as we try to try to write down what we want to happen in the law. He helps us go through and think about uh, ways in which we weren't clear or um, better ways to phrase things or that are less complicated and things like that. Um, but yeah, so we draft something and send it to send it to him and uh, he sends us something back or more often than not sends me back a lot of questions um, that, that we have to go through and answer and sort of think through uh, what our intent is and how we want the how we want the words on the page to look so that other people who read them after we're done with them the regulators and, and lawyers and courts and things like that um, understand our meaning um, because that's obviously that's the devil's always in details, but that's where the rubber really meets the road, right? If we're not clear, right. then regulators don't necessarily know what we want them to do. Correct. And I know that there are lots of times where obviously ledge council and you together decide, you know, you know what act you're going to be amending, but how, when you're amending that act, you break it down into the section of that act and how it fits into the existing language. And this sounds very arcane, but like where a comma goes, where a period oh. goes, where a semicolon goes, if it's an and or an or, these things have tremendous implications going forward. So yeah. the process yeah. can be very long. Um, and just to, just to take another step back. So the, I, as I recall, you probably know the date better. I think you actually do. From the time that you had the idea, mm -hmm. this particular idea that became the DCDA, yeah. um, when was that? Was uh, that I, I have a, a I have a rough outline from early 2018. Okay, so it's uh, two years ago, right? So that happened. Yeah, two and a half years ago. Yep. Two two and a half years ago. So that happened, yep. and then then the bill went through the process of going to ledge council. Then you had, but but you didn't. But your boss didn't introduce the bill then. Then what happened? So now you have this draft. Yep. So we had a draft. Uh, we showed it to folks and had lots of conversation from lots of really smart people. Gave us really helpful feedback. Coin Center, um, Peter and Jerry and you uh, had a lot of really helpful things for us to think about as as we were trying to get to the place. Like part of the conversation we had with you guys was these are our goals. These are what we want to see. With the DCAA, it was about how do we protect customers? How do we ensure that um, when people 
participate at an exchange, they can be assured that it is fair and you know operating under a, a good regulatory structure. And sort of we set out our goals with the people we talked to and then had a conversation about did we meet those goals or not. Then um, we take all that feedback and rewrite the bill, take it back to Ledge Council. Ledge Council asks more questions. Uh, we come up with a draft, show it to more people, um, and you know, rinse and repeat uh, a lot. The final draft number on the bill, on the on the draft bill before it became a final? Uh, it was like 28 or 29 or 30 maybe. Yeah, um, that's pretty impressive. It, so that just uh, goes to show how much back and forth yeah. and thought and care um, you and your boss put into making sure that when this bill was introduced, it was it was in the it was in the best shape that it could be in going forward, and that is by no means to say that it is a done deal. So no. we can talk. We'll talk a little bit later about how then the legislative process unfolds, but this is like the starting point. Yep. So I also want to talk for a minute about. Um, so you work for a Republican member of Congress. So yes. currently in the House, you guys are in the minority. Yep. Um, your boss is the ranking member of the committee. How much thought do you give and how much importance do you place on legislation being introduced and worked on in a bipartisan way, meaning that both Democrats and Republicans sign on or support what you're doing? It's, it's important. Um, I mean, in particular, because we're in the minority. The House is a majoritarian institution and we don't do anything that the majority doesn't want to do. Um, so from, from where I sit today, uh, we, we have to have a bipartisan bill. Um, but, but even when we were in the majority and, um, I worked for the chairman and not the ranking member, uh, having bipartisan bills, uh, has always been important to the Act committee. We are historically, I think one of the more bipartisan committees in Congress. And that's something that, um, I think staff and our members and the leadership of the committee is really proud of that, uh, we continue to try to make sure we do things in a bipartisan manner. Um, in particular, I think it results in hopefully more durable decisions and, and legislation that uh, is less contentious because everybody's had a say in it. Yes. And I like to say it's, it's a legislative process yeah. <laughs> because it is a process yeah. that involves a lot of communication and a lot of going back and forth and a lot of compromise. Um, and I know that you have had many conversations, you and your boss have had many conversations across the aisle with um, Democratic members and their staff about how to support this bill and, and what maybe could happen in order to get them to support this bill. And so, and, and, and personally, having been a lobbyist for a really long time, I think that the best way to go about that, to go about getting a good end result is to have a bipartisan process. So. I really think that that is great for you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about when you when a bill is introduced, obviously the ultimate goal is that it will become law. That's the hope, that's the reasoning, that's the rationale for why you're Usually. doing this. Sometimes Usually. people, sometimes no. I mean, sometimes people just introduce things to be able to say they talked about stuff. Here though, True. in this case, it is very much the, the goal. Right. Sign but along the way, so I think there's a lot of talk sometimes about, well, this bill has this bill's introduced, but it has no chance of passing. This bill has no chance of going anywhere. Um, we are at the end. We are in the second session of this Congress and we have an election coming up. Maybe yep. some people have heard about that. Um, where, <laughs> but the but in terms of 
the institution, what will happen is that this Congress will come to a close. And when this mm -hmm. Congress comes to a close, all the bills that were introduced in this Congress basically go, go away. away. Yep. And when the new Congress convenes in January, any all bills need to be either reintroduced or new bills are introduced. And so how much thought did you give over the past couple of years to the clock? Like how much time was left on the clock in this Congress? Um, was it a factor for you in thinking about when you might introduce this bill? Yeah. Um, yes and no. I think ideally this process would have happened much faster and you know, it would have, we would have needed less revisions uh, and we would have had it introduced maybe early this year uh, rather than late this year. But, but I should also little footnote yeah. COVID. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there are a lot of reasons yeah. why, why we didn't get there. Um, and, and in part also because I think it's important to my boss that we introduce a bill that um, when it's ready, right? Not we sort of not pay too much attention to the clock and, and all that. Um, you know, that's the kind of direction I get. Um, we introduced it this fall um, and I think pushed really hard this fall to get it done and get it to a place where it was ready in part because um, one, Mr. Conaway is retiring and so he wanted to be able to um, get his thoughts on paper and get them introduced before he left. Um, and two, I think just mechanically, we've had a lot of really good discussions with a lot of very smart people um, who have been hugely helpful in helping us think through things, but that's not the full universe of people that need to think about the bill. And so at some point, we and me were sort of at the end of our ability to tinker and go back and forth and talk to um, talk to folks, and it, it needed to be public so that other people could see it and other people could think about it and tinker with it. And this was, I think, a good opportunity to be able to do that. Um, you know, we're at the... Yeah the end of the year and people will have a couple months to look at it and hopefully reflect on it and get communicate back to us and eventually it'll get reintroduced next year and we'll be able to take that feedback into into account yeah i think that's great i mean i from our perspective and just this bill and other bills it is important once they get introduced to have a full and open discussion of them and have other people be able to give their input because that's how things get better. So at the same time that you were working on this bill, um, Mr. Emmer was also working on the Securities Clarity Act. And I know that um, there might've been some conversations going on between the two of you. Um, I could not have imagined that two years ago or a year and a half ago when you were both really both Mr. Conaway and Mr. Emmer were thinking about introducing these bills, they do relate to each other, um, that they would both actually end up being introduced on the same day. So um, can you share a little of the behind the scene process um, without divulging? Uh, yeah. that? <laughs> um, it, it wasn't a coincidence. They were introduced <laughs> on the same day. Um, so Mr. Emmer has a, a great guy who works for him, um, Landon, who I know you know very well. Uh, who was extraordinarily helpful to me in just thinking through um, bits and pieces of our bill and, and what we were thinking about. But ultimately, I think as we both sort of moved through our process, it kind of became clear they were going to be ready about the same time. And so it made sense to us to, to introduce them on the same day so that they could be sort of talked about in context because they do relate to one another. And I think it is helpful to think about them uh, in context of one another. Um, and what, what Mr. Emmer's bill does um, is sort of carve out 
from the definition of security, certain assets uh, that are objects of investment contracts, I think is the thought. I can't remember what they call them in the act. But what our bill does is then says for some of those assets, which are digital commodities, this is the regulatory structure that they will be subject to now. Um, and so in that way, they are um, one built upon the other. And I, I say that because I think it is amazing that both bills got to fruition and, and both members were able to introduce the bills with the amazing work of you and Landon behind them. Um, but also because that's another layer of coordination that I don't think that people understand happens as in terms of the process of thinking about bills. It's not just the Digital Commodities Exchange Act, it's the Digital Commodities Exchange Act in the context of what might be happening over on the House Financial Services Committee. And so I think that the fullness of those discussions is something that I, def I know I appreciate and I think a lot of other people appreciate. And if nobody understands that they're happening, then I hope they do now. <laughs> so moving forward, like, as you said, your boss is um, retiring. So he will not be coming back um, in the next Congress. What, um, thinking about another step in the process of how a bill becomes a law, we need now, we need now think about how this bill gets reintroduced. Mm -hmm. What are the next steps hopefully for it? In your mind, like what happens next? Yeah, so there are um, a number of co-sponsors of the bill and they'll have a discussion amongst themselves about who um, who wants to introduce it next year. I, my, my firm hope is that no matter who introduces it, the you know we still have the same co-sponsors um, and maybe a few more co-sponsors along the way. Um, so that okay. it'll get reintroduced, um, maybe modified a little bit based on, or maybe a lot of it, right? Based on the feedback that uh, I hope people are thinking about today and we'll come back to, come back to the committee with. Uh, and then we'll have a conversation with, uh, assuming Republicans don't take back the majority, um, with uh, Mr. Peterson's staff and about uh, what comes next as far as hearings and markups and sort of all the work that the committee needs to do to evaluate the bill um, and through the public process that committees undertake when, when we move legislation. And even though I, kind of tease this of ha as how a bill becomes a bill since we have you here and you have such sure. deep expertise in the legislative process. Let's say bill gets reintroduced, bipartisan basis, the beginning of next Congress. What happens next? Um, well, uh, if everything goes according to plan, uh, in the in the perfect world, uh, we have a markup where you maybe have a hearing on it and invite some some folks in to talk to the committee about what the bill does and uh, why it's beneficial. Um, we have a markup on it in which members of the committee consider the legislative text and have the opportunity to offer amendments and um, and then the committee reports the bill out, uh, hopefully favorably. Um, we write a report that explains what the bill does and then it goes to the House floor and we vote on it, assuming it passes the House. It goes to the Senate, um, where maybe they'll take it up. <laughs> yes. So it is a very long process, and it is a very detailed process. Um, and it is the substance of what makes up most of your day, working on not just, I mean, this bill, we're talking about this bill, but it's, it's really, as a staffer on the Hill, the work that you do, I think, is, I think is really interesting, and I really appreciate all 
the effort and the thought that you put behind it. So moving on a little bit, what are kind of, what are some of the favorite, what are the favorite, oh, well, let, let's start with the, what are the most challenging parts of your job? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think what I don't have answers is like, we work in a pretty fast paced place some days, uh, some days is very slow, but when we need answers, people want answers yesterday. And so I think the, the hardest part is when you're sort of faced with a, a new issue or a new set of problems that you don't have answers to and people are looking at you asking you for answers. Um, that, that part can be a little frustrating. Um, just trying to stay ahead of people's needs for information. Um, and then, you know, meetings sometimes are terrible. Uh, sometimes they're great. Uh, can be endless. Um, but sometimes <laughs> like uh, they can be they can be endless, and um, you know you can get bogged down in issues that are um, incredibly complicated and don't have really good answers. And um, and you can see where the system is failing, and sometimes not be able to affect change. And that's really deeply, deeply frustrating is seeing, seeing problems and, and knowing them and understanding them and not being able to solve them. Yeah. Um, I can think of a few issues that are not crypto specifically related to that. I'm sure there's the list might, might not be very short. It might actually be kind of long actually. So, okay. Then on the flip side, what yeah. are like, what's the best part of your job? Um, when you I walk, the, when you walk into the building every day, are you like, wow. Well, uh, yeah, I get to learn interesting things every day, which I really like. Um, uh, so crypto, I guess, maybe is a really good example. Um, you wouldn't think the Ag Committee would have anything to talk about here with respect to crypto. It turns out we have a lot to talk about. And um, it it is through a, I don't even want to say historical accident, but, but through history, right? Uh, we have this jurisdiction and this is a part of our jurisdiction. And so it's a really fun thing to be able to talk about for me personally, right? Like I've always been interested in technology and um, it's been a neat, really surprising thing for me to be able to work on. I did not come to the committee to work on crypto, um, but yet it wound up in my lap and uh, I'm really happy that it did. Um, but then, then there's a number of things like that where um, we just, we get to think about and talk about really interesting things all day long that, um, you, you wouldn't necessarily have known about had you not been in, in the job. Well, we're really happy you're in the job. <laughs> and we think you do a really great job. And um, we appreciate the work of, that you do. And also, I would say just generally the work of so many, like you're almost, you're not a stand-in, but you're here and I'm talking to you, but we work with so many members of Congress and so many staffers and it's, it's, it's always interesting and it's always a huge pleasure to work with you. So. Yeah, it, uh, it is a team sport to use a overused analogy, but um, you know, we don't get anything done on our own. Uh, it's as much as I like to sit at my desk and tinker in my mind, um, at the end of the day, it takes hundreds and hundreds of people to, to get stuff done, so. And I think that <laughs> is a really good note to end on. So um, thank you, Paul, so much for being our guest today and for um, chatting with me about how a bill becomes a bill. Well, thank you very much for having me, Robin. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye.